Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the 307 Podcast. This is Chad. I just wanted to do a race report on the Revenant Ultra Adventure Race. I've been asked by a lot of people kind of what happened out there, kind of how the race went. And um, there's definitely some lessons learned, a few stories to be told. So just wanted to take a minute to put it out there. If you don't know what the Revenant is, just a quick rundown. It's four 50-kilometer loops in the mountains of the South Island, New Zealand. You have to navigate the course with a map and compass. So it's not just a normal trail race. And it's got tons of elevation gain and loss. I don't know the exact numbers. Somewhere around 50,000 feet, I believe. So it's a really intense event. But anyways, guys, this is just my story. First of all, I did not complete the race this year. And I could sit here and make up a bunch of excuses and tell you all the reasons why I didn't finish the race. But that's not really my style. So kind of what I found in my life is 95% of the time, uh, the outcomes of my situations are based upon my own decisions. In other words, I didn't finish the race this year in large part to my own decisions and to my own mistakes that I made uh, because of improper planning, whatever it may be. And that's just been a big lesson for me throughout my life is just owning my decisions. And when failure happens... Instead of sitting here making excuses, it's going back through the situation and figuring out what I could have done different, what I did wrong, and what I can come back next year and do right. So, starting off, race started at about 6 a.m. on Friday morning this year, and everything was going good. I felt great off the start. Uh, we had an awesome pre-race deal, had a haka out there and a couple other little ceremonial things, and the race started. Everything was flowing good. I'm looking at the map right now, just going over it in my head, down to checkpoint, from checkpoint, uh, well, actually from the start-finish line down to checkpoint one. Easy day, it's a long downhill, hit the checkpoint dead on, back all the way back up top to two. Tough climb, but easy day. I did notice it was super hot this year. And I noticed coming back up that big climb between one and two, I was getting, I was pretty warm, especially for it to be right there at sunrise. By the time we got to two, it was probably about an hour after sunrise. And I was working up a pretty good sweat, but, you know, adrenaline was was pumping and uh, <clears throat> I was not about to slow down. No drama. All the way through, guys, we nailed every single checkpoint this year. Three to four, uh, four to five, six, seven, eight. Eight was a big one last year, checkpoint eight. It took us about, I think, seven or eight hours to find checkpoint eight last year. This year, it took us about 30 minutes. So, no drama there. Kind of where my race started to fall apart was from eight going down to nine. You're going all the way back off the mountain range. 
nines all the way down in the valley. So it's a big downhill, which all good for me. I'm a strong downhill runner, never never have any issues. But it was getting to be about midday, super hot. I think it was in the 90s, somewhere in, I don't know, I don't know the exact temperature, 91, 92, may have been a little higher than that. And out here in this terrain, you're totally exposed. So it's not like the woods here on the East Coast where you got good canopy and, you know, you're kind of going in and out of shade. This terrain at Welcome Rock where the Revenant is ran is all just tussock grass. It's just completely exposed the entire time. So we hit nine. Coming coming back up the mountain from nine to checkpoint ten is just a massive and brutal climb. And again, it's about midday. The heat was just bearing down on me hard. And um, that's kind of where I started to fall apart, which is strange for me because I'm usually really good in the heat. Being from the south, I mean, the summer's here, super hot and humid. Heat's never really an issue. But what I did wrong, guys, is I was not doing anything between the start-finish line to where I am now at checkpoint nine, coming back up the mountain at midday. I hadn't been doing anything to kind of mitigate that heat. I hadn't been taking advantage of the water sources that we came across. You know, looking back on the race now, I should have been laying down, completely submerging myself in that cold water every single chance that I got just to keep my core body temperature down but I was pushing and uh, not taking advantage of that um and you know even even down to kind of the hat I had on and you know just the 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 proper gear for that kind of heat and that kind of exposure uh, I, I, I didn't provide as much shade and, and coolness as I could for myself and so anyways, the heat got me coming up from nine. I think I had, I don't know if it was kind of a, a mild heat stroke, whatever you want to call it. Definitely got a little sick, got a little out of it, couldn't couldn't really eat. And um, approaching 10, my growing, like inside of my legs, completely locked up. I was with two other guys all the way up to this point, and um, yeah, I don't, I rarely, rarely ever cramp. I can count on one hand the times in my life that I've ever had cramps, so kind of caught me off guard when my legs just completely locked up, and you know, I yelled to the guys that I was with, I said, hey guys, um, you know, you guys go ahead. Uh, I'm going to have to take a minute. And it didn't really freak me out, the cramps. They were painful, but it didn't really freak me out. I knew that I could get it under control. I just kind of had to adjust my pace. I'd been drinking plenty of water, you know, all that stuff. Um, I, 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 don't, I don't know. I'm no doctor. I can only attribute the cramps to, you know, some type of mild heat injury, like I said, that I, that I experienced coming back up that mountain. But yeah, the cramps continued for, I don't know, about an hour. Uh, the guys I, were with, I was with, you know, continued on. I lost sight of them shortly after hitting checkpoint 10. 
Um, hit 11 dead on. Then I'm back down the mountain to the river to uh, checkpoint 12. And then from checkpoint 12, you've got to follow, it's called the Nakamai River. And you've got to follow the river north all the way up to checkpoint 13. And uh, luckily that section is the only section when you're in some, well, you're in pretty thick woods all the way from 12 to 13. It's about four kilometers uh, up the river. So you, you got good shade on that section. So I was kind of able to cool down and regain my composure somewhat, I guess, through that section, nailed 13 and then back into the start-finish line. Um, when I get back into the start-finish line to kind of do my transition, at that point my stomach had settled down, the cramps had kind of settled down. I was able to get some good food down, but I was still a little off. And, you know, talking to talking to some of the, the spectators there in start-finish that were there when I came in for my transition, I think they could also sense that I was a little off. It's almost like it's almost like I was a little bit drunk or like my my thinking was just kind of cloudy. So get some food down, I head back out for my second lap and I kind of just meander out of the start finish line and you know, I'm this is stories I'm hearing from the spectators that were watching me and I just kind of meander out and kind of the wrong direction. And apparently they were all yelling at me uh, to kind of change my course. And I didn't hear them at all. Never remember that. Again, that's just them telling me. Finally, I get back on the course I need to be on and uh, drop down to catch my first checkpoint on my second loop. And I nail it. Come back up. Um, come back up, not on the most advantageous route for sure. Uh, and again, that to me is another sign that I was just wasn't thinking so clearly and, um, end up taking the long, the long route to the next checkpoint, which is uh 13. I'm going clockwise now at this point. The first loop was counterclockwise. This loop is clockwise. I get to 13 right around sunset, uh, put my headlamp on, and then from 13, I've got that long trek back down the Nakamai to checkpoint 12. And I'm moving down through this timber along the edge of this river, and I notice kind of at times I'm kind of stumbling, I'm you know, kind of bashing my ankles on these big rocks that are in the river. And, you know, I just don't have the best footing and just kind of moving sluggishly almost. And I end up getting on this game trail that, that kind of parallels the river at some point during the night. I don't know what time it is because you can't wear a watch during this race, but I'm following this game trail along the river, and kind of before I know it, I am um, 
on the side of this cliff. And what had happened, uh, I guess, was the game trail kind of drifted away from the river and went high up on the side of the mountain. And again, before I know it, I'm on the edge of this cliff and I'm clinging to these little sapling trees that are growing out of the rock. And it's a sheer drop down to the river, probably about a 30-foot 30, 30 vertical drop. And I just had to take an inventory of myself at that point. And there's a fine line between being brave and being reckless. And I was pushing into that territory of being reckless. And I just had to make a decision. Uh, was I in the right frame of mind to be moving safely across this terrain? in the middle of the night, by myself? And the obvious answer to that was no. I was no longer safely able to, able to travel over that terrain in the condition that I was in. And I was being reckless. And I, I thought about my wife on the side of that cliff, actually, and I thought, you know, is it really worth it for me to fall off the side of this thing in a foreign country and break my leg or bash my head open on a rock uh, just to continue moving forward? And again, the obvious answer to that is no. So I work my way down off of this cliff and move on for, I don't know, another couple hundred meters until I find this nice patch of moss. And I lay down on that moss and I pass out. Just I'm I'm gone. I'm dead asleep almost immediately after I lay down. And I wake up at some point and there's two other competitors standing down in the river. Um and I sit up and I yell at them just to kind of see who they were. And they look back up at me and they yelled back at me and they, they kept saying, where are you? Where are you? Well, in my mind, when I sat up and looked at them, I had, in my mind, I had my headlamp on my head, and I, uh, for some reason, I thought I was shining my headlamp at them. So I couldn't figure out why they couldn't see me. I'm like, I'm shining a beacon of light right at you. Why, why can't you see me? And then it dawned on me, my headlamp had fallen off my head, at some point while I was laying on that moss. Um, so I finally wave, wave them down and, you know, they figure out who I am and ask if I'm okay. And I said, yeah, I'm good. You know, I just need to get a little rest. And they carry on. And I close my eyes again. I'm back out like a light. And then I wake up sometime pre-dawn, just a little bit of gray in the sky, and I'm freezing cold. Uh, when you lay on the bare ground like that, it really saps the warmth out of you. So I guess really what woke me up was the cold. And I get up off my bed of moss. I look behind me, and I had been laying right at the base of a dead, completely dead and rotting tree. Probably a 80, 90 foot tall, massive rotted tree 
and I'm thinking, holy smokes, you know, thank God it wasn't windy out tonight because this could potentially be a death trap. I mean, that's something that I'm very adamant about when I'm out in the wilderness. If I'm ever going to bed down anywhere, you check the trees around you, you check the limbs around you and make sure that the trees are healthy. None of the limbs are dead, look like they're about to fall. So there again, another mistake that I had made um, in kind of my the, the stupor that I was in. Anyways, wake up. Uh, first thing, freezing cold. First thing I got to do is get back down the river, keep headed toward checkpoint 12. So first thing that morning, straight back into the water. Feet are back soaking wet. I'm already cold right down into the cold river. You've got to, when you're traveling this river, you can't just stay on one side or the other. You have to constantly cross the river back and forth or at times even walk down the center of this river just to make movement down through there. It's very, very tough and dangerous terrain. I make it down to checkpoint 12 sometime just after sun up or dawn. It's getting light. Go ahead and stow my headlamp. Hit it, easy day. Then it's a huge climb up a fence line back to 11. Hit it. And then from there back down to 10. When I got to 10, I looked up at the sun. The sun was uh, directly overhead. And I knew my cutoff time for this lap, my 30-hour cutoff time, was going to be 12 o'clock noon. So once I reached checkpoint 10, I knew pretty much my race was over. I had ran out of time. Um, so uh, the race director had told us this year, if the cutoff gets you um, to break your cell phone out of the sealed envelope and give him a call and let him know where you're at. So when I saw where the sun was, I broke my cell phone out turned it on. I think it was 1128. So I I was about two minutes from cutoff. Um, I called the race director, let him know my location and um, confirmed, you know, that, that my cutoff time was up and I let him know that I was going to RTB or return to base. Well, from 10 checkpoint 10 instead of just going straight back to the start finish line I decided to go down to what's called the mud hut and the mud hut is this little mud hut that was built by the old gold miners way back in the 1800s and um, the property owner Tom there at Welcome Rock has restored the mud hut and it's used for accommodations now so there were some volunteers there at the mud hut. I knew they were there. So I made my way from 10 down to the mud hut and hung out with the volunteers, Mr. Ben Lott and Kendra and uh, Graham, a couple other friends of mine. They had a cold beer down there. Ben made me a hamburger. Um, there was another competitor there at the mud hut that had gotten caught by the cutoff too. Her name was Katie. And uh, so Katie was hanging out. She had suffered some pretty severe sunburn. 
again because of just the heat and the ex- amount of exposure you get out there on the course. So we sit around and chat probably for about an hour. I get up, get my gear ready, and uh, get ready to uh, return to the start-finish line. Me and Katie decided that we were going to uh, make that death march back to the start-finish line together. It's probably about 10K um, from the mud hut back to the start-finish line, so it's not just a short walk. It's uh, actually a pretty fair amount of distance to cover and a pretty big climb uh, between the mud hut and the start-finish line, too. So one of the volunteers asked me, says, um, hey, man, you know, your race is over. Let me just uh, let me just give you a ride up to the top of the hill in the Jeep, and then you can kind of walk it in from, from there. Um, you know, and that was a kind gesture, and there's nothing wrong with that. But for me personally, when I'm out on these races or these missions, if I get myself into a spot – I feel obligated to get myself out of that spot. So I'm very adamant about self-extracting and not just hitching a ride when my time's up. And I feel like that mindset is really part of the spirit of the Revenant and it being an adventure, ultra-adventure race. That's part of the adventure when you get yourself into a spot unless you get into some sort of medical emergency or dangerous situation it's your job to get yourself out of that spot so you know i told the volunteer i said man no i'm you know i'm gonna i'm gonna extract myself and i guess the lesson there is nobody would have known if i would have gotten in the jeep and got a ride to the top of the hill and not that anyone would have cared other than me But I would have never had to tell that part of the story. Nobody would have ever known. But for me, it was all about integrity. It was all about staying true to my values, even though no one would have known any difference nor cared. So you hear a lot about integrity, and that is what integrity is to me. It's doing the right thing. It's staying true to your values even when no one is watching. You know the perfect example of integrity for me is when you're at the grocery store and you push your buggy out to the car and you unload your groceries and the dang buggy cart station is like all the way on the other side of the parking lot. And nobody's going to freaking say anything to you if you just leave your buggy there in your parking spot and get in your car and leave. No one's going to say a word to you. Most of the time, nobody's ever even going to see that it's you. But integrity is getting that grocery buggy and pushing it back to the spot that it belongs and leaving it in the proper place. It's something as simple as that. That's how you build integrity in your life. Is little simple things like that. And if you make that your standard, and it's going to improve the quality of your life, and it's going to strengthen your own belief in integrity. So anyways, Katie and I decide to make this death march together, but it turns out to not be a death march. 
And, you know, when I was at the mud hut, I was exhausted. Cutoff had got me. The race was over. I had kind of turned off, got out of the zone, got out of that racing mindset. And I really didn't feel like I could run another step. I'd been moving for quite a while and quite a ways at that point. And I was planning on just kind of hiking or walking back to the start-finish line. But Katie's with me, and we take off out of the mud hut. And immediately we fall right into a really strong pace. And we just crush it up this mountain. And then we're headed back down into the start-finish line along downhill. And we both start running at a really good pace. And that, to me, was all about just experiencing the power of people. How you can be in those moments when you're alone and you just feel like you can't go another step, but then you surround yourself with the right people and all of a sudden you can run again. All of a sudden you, 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 you tap into this well of energy that you didn't know existed. And it's just uh, it's, it's a powerful thing and it's a powerful lesson learned and never underestimate the power that other people can bring to the table within a tough situation if you choose to surround yourself with the right individuals that will help you accomplish your goal. Yep, so we finished strong into the start-finish line, Katie and I, and that was it for the day, guys. So that's the Revenant in a nutshell. Again, um, looking back on this, thinking about what I could do different, definitely manage the heat. I could have done so much more to, uh, to manage that exposure, to manage that heat. Um, and then the other one, you know, the, the, again, touching back on the power of people. You know, coming down from 13 to 12, I'd mentioned when I was in that really bad spot that I was uh, that I was all alone, and one of my biggest, I guess, or one I guess one of my I don't want to say regret one of my worst one of the worst decisions I made was uh, when I was laying on that bed of moss and and the two other competitors came by me. Um, I should have got up and stayed with them for the rest of the night because I I just think that 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 again going back to that power of people i think that would have helped really pull me through that heat injury and pull me out of that cloudy and uh kind of just hazy mindset that i was in but um you know these are all things that i can improve on these are all tools and lessons that i've learned to uh, push forward into my future missions And last thing we'll talk about is a lot of people have asked me, you know, how do you deal with these failures? And the best way that I can explain that is when you're on a journey where the most likely outcome is failure, that is true adventure. So if you fear that failure you're going to remain stagnant and you're never going to experience what true adventure really is. And in turn, when you push to those limits, 
you're going to experience failure. It's going to happen. But how do you deal with it? You look back on the mission. You look back on the experience. And you do just what we've done here today. You find the lessons that you learned along that journey. And you focus on those lessons. And you come back stronger when the time comes and the opportunity presents itself once again. Thanks for tuning in, guys. Enough said.